Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. Very exciting episode. Malcolm Barrett is with us today. He's an actor. He's a he's a rapper. He's a poet. He's a friend of the Valley folk. You might know him as Rufus from NBC's Timeless. You might know him on one of Steve Zaragoza's many projects. Uh, you might know him as the artistic director of the Ammo Theater here in Los Angeles. Uh, either way, he's an amazingly cool guy. I'm excited for you to get to know him if you don't know him. And uh, we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about growing up in Brooklyn, moving to Los Angeles, becoming and getting in the world of poetry, um, some of the most quote-unquote interesting experimental theater he's seen that includes uh, chewed up gum and heads in water. It's very artistic and fascinating. So enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Malcolm Barrett. Want to do some vocal warm up, some zip zap zop? <laughs> it's already so wildly impressive to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was Basic like, theater school. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, that. Uh, do you actually do verbal warm ups? Verbal, the rapper. Do you do a. <laughs> audible warm-ups to do vocal warm-ups or anything like that before you perform i do uh during oh good there's a there's a fighter jet above uh, <laughs> perfect uh, what set are you on uh, good yeah yeah i'm on the set of uh air force one yeah, great. Uh, so we're, it's a reboot um but very popular right now um no i don't really do vocal. well that's not completely true i do vocal warm-ups um more in theater, but not a lot. And uh-huh. depending, on, depending on like what the thing is that I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I, play, I play a lot of nerds. So there's like a lot of like. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So like if I'm really high, I'll do vocal warmups just because okay. it's just like it's easier because when you get high, then your mouth gets all dry and whatever. And so like, yeah. you want to feel comfortable over enunciating without feeling weird. So like that's so that's my advice to every young that's great. I was there. That that checks off the question of what kind of advice you have for young performers looking to make it. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So you're in you're in theater. You're in traditional acting. You're in music. You're in, you're in arts. This is what I ask for a lot of guests that are kind of like hybrid performers. Mm-hmm. What is what is your deal? Like, how do you describe yourself to someone that's never met you that wants to know what you do? Um. What is my deal? Uh, I, <laughs> you know, I know it's a little off-putting, but I'm always curious as to how people. No, you I know still... what? I, don't, <laughs> I feel you have enough um, good favor that I don't. Nothing's that off-putting. You know what oh, I mean? good. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. So look, if I was in New York, I, I'd comfortably say I was an artist, but people right. don't really use that that term in LA. Like mm-hmm. that's probably the first um, term I heard in the industry that never got used again. Uh, wow. um, yeah, like because they don't say artist too much when you're like in LA. Like LA, like you're an actor or you're trying to get a paycheck. Like everything's paycheck related, right? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, like I hate to be all like, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm a fucking artist inside. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, that's what New York is. Like, right? Like all these people, yeah. the visual artists, painters, they're the teachers, they're they're whatever you do, and they all consider them artist for the most part so for me when I was trying to find my voice it just mm-hmm. came out in whatever way it happened you know I grew up 
on hip hop. So I was rapping and, and freestyling um, mm-hmm. when I was in high school and junior high and having battles and things like and that. And you grew up in Brooklyn, right? In I New York. Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, Biggie Small stomping ground, um, literally near Jay-Z, near Mar- across from Marcy Projects. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lived in all the places that black folks rap about and all the places white people drove through and now live. That's, yeah. where, that's where I'm from. Uh, so, so yeah i was heavy into freestyling and rapping and then when i got to college it became poetry at that new Yorkian poetry cafe and so i was oh, a wow. plan poet and, but i was writing stories since i was like in the first grade so to me okay whole, so yes okay, i'm curious as to what caught your eye with poetry because that seems like a very niche kind of world to enter as like a young artist like what was it about that um, well, my mom wrote poetry. I, you know, oh, cool. I, yeah, yeah. My mom wrote poetry. I, you know, I, it was, it was always an interest. It never, for me, it never seemed that wild a thing. I, mm-hmm. I will say that making it a vocation was an eye opening thing, you know, because, yeah. you know, once I started going to NYU, then I started going to the Lower East Side, which brought me mm. to the Eureka Poetry Cafe. Cool. And so that's where I started doing it. But then as I became, uh, a regular and was winning competitions and joined the team. Um, mm. I think the first time I joined the team, I was at Ainsley Burroughs and he had all his chat books. You know, we were roommates, yeah. we were touring and he had these chat books and I was like, oh, you guys are making money off this. Because keep in mind, I was doing it before Deaf Poetry Jam came. Like, wow. Was, yeah, yeah, this I, is a world I don't know anything about. So when you say you made the team, what does that mean exactly? So there are national competitions for slam poetry. Right. Okay. Um, and so I was on a New Eureka national team in 2001. Cool. Um, and then so you get sent to Seattle where the nationals happen. I literally got a poetic license with my name on it. Oh, um, that's so fun. Yeah. So that was my work. That was my world for, for a while, for, for wow. a couple of years, um, was that and, and hip hop. I, you know, I was putting out a poetry album and, and trying to work on chat books and, but then the acting thing took, the music thing, I went to LA, and so it just became a different world for me. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I probably moved to LA right before Deaf Poetry Jam started, because um, I would have loved to have done that, and I was just outside of that circle as it started merging. Wow, so what brought you out to Los Angeles? What brought me out to Los Angeles was a show called Luis, okay. uh, with Luis Guzman, so the guy who wasn't uh, whipping his penis out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure clarification. On, yeah, I'm sure he whips it out on occasion, like you have to at some point. Yeah. Um, that's just the na- nature of Peni. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I'm learning yeah. so much, and we're five minutes into this. <laughs> I try to be as informative as I can. I don't know how long this is going to last. My name is So so yeah. So I I did a show called Luis with with Luis Guzman. He pronounces it in different ways. Um, I, was, I was in school at the time, um, but my, my experience in college was always somewhere between me actually doing the things that we're doing, like trying to learn and take all these things, and actually working outside of school. Like I was acting outside of school at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but Louis was the one that made me leave school because I got the pilot and it shot in LA, mm-hmm. so I moved to LA. Wow. So, I mean, and that's also, so you're a young, you're a young man that's trying to juggle all of this at the same time. Yeah. That's pretty wild. So did you, did you finish school and then like move out to Los Angeles completely or? 
No, but I went for four years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still know. open-ended. Yeah, I don't know how many of those years counted, to be honest. Okay. I, I, I left school every second semester, and I don't think I completed a full year until my third year or whatever. Okay. Because the second semester of college, I was on tour with WIT. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I was gone for six months, came back. Then the scholarship ran out of money. I left. Then I was came back, was auditing classes. Then I was there for like a year and a half. Then I got the Louis show and then I just left. Wow. So technically, there's still an opportunity for you to graduate at some point. There is. Well, <laughs> what's, funny, <laughs> what's funny is I would, go, I would go back and I would just be like, um, I'd be there because I just had friends there and whatever yeah. else. And so I'd be in the school and inevitably there'd be somebody in some office. They'd be like, I remember some like I don't know what her job was, but she was like, "Are you Malcolm Barrett?" Um, and I was like, "Yeah, I am." She was like, "She was like, hey, so you you've left the school, but you didn't fill out any of the stuff to say like a like for matriculation or for leaving or an official uh, leave. like you haven't done any of that." Um, she was like, "Would you mind just coming into my office for a second and, and just filling that out?" And I was like, uh, "Oh, hey, look, um, the reason I left school is because I don't like paperwork." <laughs> no <laughs> yeah that's so it's it's gonna be a no also i thought i thought you were gonna say that she recognized you like from a performance or something oh, it was no. like are you malcolm uh i have paperwork for you yeah so no. <laughs> so you come out to los angeles and uh you're doing were you doing theater when you landed here or trying to do theater at the same time as the whole acting world yeah i have a theater company now um that i know i'm yeah, it's Ammo. Yeah, Ammo Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. How did that come about? Well, we've existed for about five years now. So when okay. I first got here, I, I, I was co-artistic director of a, theater, a different theater company called Real Theater Works, mm -hmm. um, founded by a bunch of NYU friends of mine. Um, and then, uh, you know, it dispersed at some point. We were there for years. Very hard to keep it up while I was here. Um, and then about five years ago, a separate group of friends, some the same NYU folks, came together and we founded this new theater company called Ammo Theater. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's similar to the last one I had. Um, for good or for worse, the perspectives I've had with both of these companies were to have a multi-ethnic company with women and people of color in the forefront and, and decision-making mm -hmm. um, positions and, and art um, from underrepresented communities. And to be honest, the goal of this company didn't change from the goal I had for my company in 2003, um, cool. which was to give more opportunities to underrepresented voices and people of color. And, you know, for good or bad, it's still a relevant goal. Yeah, no, it's I, it seems like because I'm very curious how the pandemic and quarantine has affected the works and like the, the theater as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a devastating process, right? Because theater, yeah. theater is not the best business model. Uh, oh yeah. I feel like, that's why I'm like, wow, you're the artistic director of a nonprofit theater. Like that still is a thing you can do. That's wild. Like I've existed on the internet for the last decade. So, yeah. but I came up through the people's improv theater in New York. And so like, I still, it seems like a very ancient sort of, uh, art form now that I'm, I'm like impressed that you guys are going and seem to be like adapting to what the world is throwing at you right now. 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in LA, improv thrives, right? Yeah. But I don't know how much it thrives because of like individual improv companies. I feel like a lot of it comes out of the major companies that are there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the notes then get pipelined into television. Yeah. Right. So there there really is, even when you're struggling as, as say an improv or whatever performer, there seems like there's a real big goal there. Yeah. When you're a theater actor doing stuff, you know, the biggest goal is Broadway and you're still right. getting paid shitty. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's it's still a shitty pay. So, so you know, you're really bit... doing it for your art. Like you're really in it to express yourself. <laughs> well, especially if you've tasted where you know, me and you are going, like you're talking about being in um, on the internet. And it's like, yeah. it, there is a much better business model to be a talented person on the internet than there mm-hmm. is to be a talented person in theater, you know, simply because, yeah. of, simply because of ad space. Yeah. You know? And simply because they're like, people aren't throwing ad space at you to do a play. Right. Um, but we, we adapted, right? Like theater, mm-hmm. theater has never been the major money maker that uh, film and TV has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but it always adapts and, and the audience is still has remained hungry for it since, you know, since civilization began, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so it's still happening. There's about, we, I meet with about, um, so I'm one of three ADs, um, with, uh, Julie Brassani and Kim Hamilton and we meet every Tuesday, um, with about 50 other smaller theater artistic directors, um, to discuss the, the sort of future directors that we can do. And what a lot of us are doing, yeah, what a lot of us are doing is um, virtual shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, we're, we're trying to do the Milan model. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like, like, people can't make it out anyway. So it's just like, please just pay $50 to do some theater for, you yeah. can watch it from your house. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of that. Like we, every, uh, every second Tuesday, I feel like I'm getting this wrong. Um, or first Tuesday, we do something called Voices of Ammo. You can go to ammunitiontheater.com and it'll tell you more of the schedule of things. Cool. And actually, I should, that's a reminder of myself. Um, <laughs> but um, once a month, we do Voices of Ammo. And it's, it's basically a talent show since a, a big part of what we do is giving voices to others. We have um, every week hosted by one of our Ammo members, um, we do a talent show with about five different people from all walks of life. Um, and it usually winds up representing just all walks of community, trans, queer, um, just people of color. And and it's things from poetry to monologues to dancing. Our very first one, we had a dancer. Cool. Uh, and then in between it, we have a host. And so we've also collaborated with a lot of theaters, with Sacred Fools, with Iama, um, to put on shows. We did Pass the Mic, um, where we'll do sort of 10-minute new works um, and then curated by... Um, <coughs> members of our company and, and and we find that you know i have done a thing with play Preview, right they've been mm-hmm. uh, one of the people in the forefront of producing work via zoom essentially okay. um, and and it's donation based and so um we we've done our best to sort of revamp that because we know how easily people get um zoom fatigue yes yeah 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 um, but yeah. so so this this talent show that you do people can join in and watch via zoom they can watch, well, the talent show they watch um, on our Instagram, Ammo, okay. Ammunition Theater Instagram. Cool. Um, and yeah, and so that's a lot, a lot of what we're having to do is produce stuff that we then put on our Instagram and our website and on YouTube um, where it can live and, and people see it. So what we try and do is always still combine the live aspect 
Yeah. That's what people love about theater. They they right. love this is happening in a moment that someone could fuck up. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like watching mm-hmm. sports. Like it's, yeah. it's hard watching sports the day after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. It's like going to see uh NASCAR in a way. They want to see the oh, yeah. see the the bobbles, the the mistakes, the flubs, the all of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious because you're an AD in a theater company, you've probably seen some crazy shit on yeah. stage do yeah. you does anything stand out to you as like the wildest like experimental theater piece you've seen or like silliest because i mean i've seen butter dance the woman that dances on the butter in the theater uh-huh. in the round and like falls down constantly and i think the internet like redid that with a song under it with uh yeah. adele excellent excellent yeah i've seen yeah, that's like my association. I'm like, that's what all theater must be. <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, it's funny, right? The craziest shit I've seen. I mean, there was a show called there was a show called Puppetry of the Penis. I don't yes. Know I, yeah, that. I've heard of this. Never seen it, but I've heard of it. I never saw it. But it was in New York when I was there. I mean, Blue Man Group was the craziest thing I had seen at the time. Yeah. But, um, but keep in mind, I went to theater school. Right. So I saw a lot of crazy shit. I bet. I bet. You know what I mean? I've seen, like speaking of that butter woman, I saw I saw uh, an artist uh, <laughs> who, <laughs> who was doing this character, right? We would have these things called create your own works. We, okay. In particular class, we, it, it led up to like a 10 minute solo performance. And she had various objects on the stage and she was sort of putting around in this vocalized character, like not necessarily a person, just sort of an almost cartoon-esque character. Uh-huh. At, at some point, she chews an entire wad of gum. <laughs> okay. Big, spits it into a pool of water, <laughs> and then just puts her face in it, <laughs> smashes her face in it, and the whole class is like trying to sit here and be thoughtful and listen. And I burst yeah. the fuck out laughing. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I was just like, I was like, what the fuck is this? What is that? In my mind, in my mind, here's the thing, right? We we take this shit too seriously. She just yeah. spit gum out and put her <laughs> We're not supposed to laugh at that. Right. We're not supposed to have a reaction to that. Then what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't with know what you. her goal was, but it got a reaction out of me. Yeah, that there's probably some very profound symbolism somewhere in this piece, but the uh-huh. reality sure. is, yeah, yeah, she just bobbed for her own gum in a she bowl of water. Bobbed, she's been bobbing for apples with her own gum. Uh, so, uh, I know, love and, art. Uh, yeah, art. Like, and that's the thing. It's like you don't know her intention. She might not right. want that everyone to be quiet. She, she she was probably trying to evoke a reaction. Sure. Stalwart crowd. I don't even know if I'm using the word stalwart, but it felt. (laughs) Feels right. Uh, Correct. Uh, That's I. Okay, that makes me feel good because I I do have a deep respect for theater. It's a world that I think is truly magical, very artistic, but I I do think occasionally it can take itself too seriously. So I like being able to find the the law worthy moments within all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Did you say lol worthy? Lol worthy. Wow. Yeah. Aren't we I know. 
I know. God, I've just been existing uh, inside my home on the internet, wow. my, like a crazy my, person. My girl got annoyed because I've been I've been doing my own, uh, started my own podcast thing. Yeah. Like, Tell write, us about put, this. I will. When I write, I put F, like I'll do F6 or F5 yeah. or whatever. So I was talking to her and I was like, hey, you want to watch an F of Doom Patrol? And she was like, an F? <laughs> Uh, it's the biz lingo. That's how you got to talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you've started your own, uh, was live with Malcolm with Malcolm. Yeah. It, it's uh, going it's live with Malcolm. Yes. You did. You did your research. I've got uh, some notes. You've got notes. Uh, uh -huh. Um, yeah, I'm learning so much as an interviewer from you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's going live with Malcolm with Malcolm. Um, it's, it's essentially an entertainment, talk show, but it's also just an excuse to like talk freely with artists. I know, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, 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 it'll go from talking about current events and social justice to personal experience as entertainers to silly games that I make up that the guest has no idea about that. I That's usually make great. up as we're talking. Um, <laughs> so there's like three or four segments and none of them are played. Um, and, yeah. And so it started, it started twofold, right? It started sort of when the lockdown happened and, you know, all the people who are entertainers in a lockdown, like it's been hard, right? Like it's for actors, musicians, because yeah. we can't perform outside and can't tour, right? Um, at the same time, you know, Black Lives Matter was happening and I'm trying to find my voice in all of this because I'm sitting right. in my house going fucking nuts. Yeah. You know? um, so it started as a way of me Wanting to talk with artists, I started with my boy Brandon, who I have a band with, Verbal and Icarus, and then with Marquis mm -hmm. Marquis Richardson, um, who's in Antebellum and Dear White People. Cool. And the reason I went with them first is it wasn't even to necessarily talk about society as much as it was about okay, here's a good friend of mine who I know that we can talk about super serious stuff. Mm -hmm. or bullshit or clown about anything. I knew that we could, these first two people are people I could go anywhere with. Yeah, it's a safe, anything. respectful conversation. Yeah, but also people who don't give a fuck. Like Marquis, yeah. like Marquis doesn't give a fuck. And it wasn't any, you know, I think there were a lot of people that were quiet when things first started because they were afraid of what to say. Yeah. So I wanted people who weren't afraid to of what they would say and also who weren't beholden to having to speak about the moment, but who 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 are who are always powerful in their voice and who are mm -hmm. always willing to share that. And so that's a lot of who my guests are. You know, it's been Phil Lamar and Ahmed Best and Yvette Nicole Brown. It's been people it's crazy. Well, Those are great people. And I think it's really cool to see people that you normally see in a very edited, curated space be very raw and unedited and very human with you. Yeah. I mean, that was the goal. I mean, we'll, here's the thing. We'll talk about Black Lives Matter, but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll open the show drinking in a bat cowl and a dragon <laughs> ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's great. Very, you know, I, I think the goal of it was to show that, like, we're, we're all a million different things and we're all trying to figure things out. And, like, yeah. let's, just, let's, let's not be afraid. You yeah, know? I, I think that's really helpful. I know for myself in quarantine, the, obviously the creative brain contained can go crazy a lot of times. And so I think it's really nice to watch p 
people kind of harness that crazy and like redirect it into something like that and like express themselves because we're all unraveling a little bit in all of our own unique ways. And so I think it's very helpful to watch other people unravel for good and not for bad. Yeah. Uh, so this is something that people can still they can watch the episodes on your YouTube channel. And that are you still producing new episodes? Yeah, every Tuesday cool. at three, every Tuesday at three PM on my IG, which is uh, nice. verbal be rapping. Um, I, I have a new guest. We took a hiatus because I did. I made a promise to myself to do ten episodes and do do a reevaluation. Um, okay. so, so they're all available on my Instagram, and then I set up a separate Instagram live with Malcolm with Malcolm, where I just highlight. I have highlighted sections of the interviews and and promos. So I usually wind up cutting like funny promos using sections of it for like two minutes. Right. Them. So that's where all of that goes. And then I put them on my YouTube and I'm, I'm on YouTube now. And so now, because of the, yeah, because of the consistency of that, I'm building a more of an audience. I used to didn't give a fuck because I was an actor. And so yeah, like, what the fuck do I care? Um, well, yeah. I want to, okay, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, okay. I, I want to learn all about your, uh, relationship with social media. So we'll be right back with more. Not too deep. Okay, we're back in with Malcolm. Oh. Uh, Malcolm, when I met you, I met you through most how most people meet through the Valley Folk folk, and uh-huh. uh, and so I everyone. <laughs> that I have met through that world, I just kind of automatic, especially through Steve Zaragoza, I just sort of automatically assume that you're also a like gamer nerd internet person. Yeah. And then finding out that like, no, you're a theater TV <laughs> actor. I was like, Oh, so how, what is the connection? How did you meet Steve or Valley folk? How did that, uh, that meet cute happen? That, that's so funny. I assume the same thing about everyone there. I mean, yeah. I, I am all those things. That's just not how I make my money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just, I know. Cause I feel like I've met so many people just like in that world. And I just assume it's all source fed sort of people. Yeah. I assume yeah. everyone's an internet star. Like, yeah. 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 What did I see? I'm just in awe. I'm like, how did you do yeah. that? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the way that I met, so the way I know all those people is through Steve Zaragoza. And the way yeah. I met Steve Zaragoza was, uh, me and him met doing a show called Nerd Court, um, okay. which was um, originally written by Gary Witta, um, who's written Star Wars shit, Abomination. He now has a show Animal Crossing. Um, or no, he doesn't have the show Animal Crossing, but <laughs> he, has, he has a talk show on Animal Crossing. Um, and he's had... Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's very popular. I, don't, I can't believe you're not in the know. Wait, is um, this in? He has a show in the game. Adam he has Patrick? a show in the game. He has huge guests on, like musical guests and all these people. And he's gonna have wow. me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. I didn't even know you could do that. Now my gears are spinning into all different directions. Yeah. Like, I, yes. <laughs> yeah. Check it out after this. He's got. He's yeah. had. I feel like he's had Sting on or some shit like that. Like it's like it's Jesus. Insane. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so he wrote something called Nerd Court, right? And so Nerd okay. Court was a show in affiliation with Skybound, who does Walking mm-hmm. Dead and all sorts of nerd events. Right. Um, and so that that whole world wound up bringing all these people together because it brought Gary Witta from Star Wars, it brought Steve Zaragoza, who was big in 
the um, I don't know what the fuck Steve does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's he's an anomaly. He's yeah. got his own world. Yeah. yeah. So Nerd Court was a show where we judged uh, nerd issues. So it'd be like, okay. who's the better superhero, Batman or Superman? Who's the better um, video game icon, Mario or Sonic? Um, who's okay. the best Doctor Who? And so it was almost done like a sort of Judge Wapner people's court thing. Oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he uh, he was like, you know how there's always the guy outside of people's court that's like, it yeah. looks as though we're doing So Steve was that. <laughs> oh, that's uh, great. He's giving yeah. the play-by-play, yeah. Yeah, and then I was the judge. Oh, um, yeah. And it was a great show because it was, it was, it was the defendants and, 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 you know, the opposing sides, it was always like, it was either writer, actors, comedians, uh-huh. or internet people. And the internet people was touch and go. Like it was, <laughs> it was hilarious because it was people who'd never done a character or done a thing outside of like controlling their own edit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh... It is really a uh, Pandora's box of what kind of personality type you're going to get outside of their own comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I met Megan and Gabby. And and honestly, all of them were really great people. And I I feel like I've worked with literally everybody from that show since. And I've stayed in contact or worked with everybody. Um, But that's how we met. Like we super, we super got along during it. And it was a heavy improvised show too. Like speaking about having like, so my background is theater, improv, all of that. And then we uh-huh. have writers and then we have uh, internet folks. I don't know what category. Um, yeah. it's, like, it's like the BIPOC letter. You know how folk, when white folks are trying to figure out what to call black people? This is me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, nerd, nerd American? Um, yeah. <laughs> are you an internet, an influencer American? Yeah, um, it's perfect. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it literally every once in a while we, there would be a crash and burn, um, uh-huh. and it would I would literally just go to the producer. I remember one particular one like we had wrapped up the case because there was like a loose we had a loose form and a loose script. Sure. Basically done, and I remember going to the producer somewhere during a break and going, "Do we have enough for a show?" And he was like, "No." And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, right. <laughs> time, time, time to start doing this stuff." Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Time to start doing the Malcolm, baby. And, yeah, and- let's really stretch it out. Stretch yeah. it out. So that's how we got cool. And then and then we stayed cool. And I wound up doing his uh his movie that I think they produced, Reunion, with okay. Martin Starr and Bree. Um, oh, cool. And a guy whose name I'm forgetting because I haven't really chilled with him since, but I'm but he was great. Sounds great. He yeah. sounds lovely. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's super cool. And so that kind of got you introduced to like the internet world of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. You but you also said at the beginning that you've been cast as a nerd a lot, but it yeah. seems like it's kind of in your DNA that that's the kind of stuff that you are naturally interested in off screen as much as on screen. Uh, you've been to Comic-Con how many times? Three. Three. Okay. What's your Comic-Con experience? Because you've been for various things and I've only been to Comic-Con once and it's wild. Can I tell you, I, in three years, I lived the lifespan of <laughs> out of Comic-Con. Like, yeah. you know, and, and by complete coincidence, um, friggin' I was there initially either three or four times but i was there the very first time i went was a gift from my girlfriend at the time oh, nice. and 
I went as a fan and it was the best thing in the world. And I saw so much things. And I think I was doing a movie with Kerry Washington at the time. And so she was mm. there promoting Django. So, you know, I think I texted her to get in the room. You know what I mean? Because I still oh, had cool. thing that like got me automatically into places. Yeah. So like, I was like, I was like, Carrie, is there, how do I get in? She's like, you can um, do this. I was like, hey. Uh, <laughs> um, I see that panel and everything like that um, and I saw really cool shit and I got to be there as a fan mm-hmm. the very probably the very next year the year after that um, it was probably the year after I, I did Timeless and so right. that is how I got invited to Comic Con and that was the that must have been insane nerdgasm my face uh, was on billboards and buses uh, do you know what i mean at this place that i was yeah. like so happy to once just attend you know yeah and then all of a sudden there. i mean because for people that haven't been to comic-con comic-con feels like it's its own planet there's just like hotels wrapped in advertisements buses wrapped in advertisements like flash mobs of advertisements it's just it's kind of like idiocracy in a way a little bit but there's and so i can't imagine that just a year later all of a sudden you're going back to this place and your face is plastered on things my face is plastered you know i'm i by then i know a couple nerd folks so i'm going to events yeah Um, the we had our own ride (laughs) <laughs> you know, like it was, <laughs> the luxury of it all. <laughs> it was crazy. I'd never been in that position. Um, and we had the panels. Um, and then on top of that, um, so afterwards, I'm like the only one who wanted to like walk the floor afterwards because I'm a huge fan. Oh, movie. which is uh, for someone that space is everywhere, that's like a, a very dangerous very, <laughs> activity. Very, yes, it was very, it was very different. <laughs> Um, but my face was everywhere, but people didn't know who I was. Right. Oh, okay. Cause had the show come out yet at that point? It hadn't come out yet. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's flashing everywhere and people don't know me. And also people don't automatically think that they're standing next to the guy that's on the poster. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. They're a- like great cosplay. Yeah. But <laughs> what was great is like, so I'm, there's an Instagram. One of my earliest Instagrams is me online. Uh-huh. Um, to the Gravitron, the timeless Gravitron, standing in front of my face. With, oh my God. Next to, in line with other people, right? <laughs> and, like, and like literally everyone's on their phone because that's the planet we're in. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, woo! <laughs> and there's this guy who's here and I'm like, you excited to get on the ride? He's like, yeah. I'm like, it's pretty cool, huh? The show, timeless? He's like, because <laughs> he gets no idea who I am at all. Oh, and that's amazing. Like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Register. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, um, that's so nice. Did you have any like fanboy moments? I'm sure down at Comic-Con. Did you cross paths with anyone that like blew your mind? Yes. Oh, wait, I got to tell you the end of this story. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so after it's, after we do our panel, I'm the only one who wants to go out and they're like, do you want, security and i was like what they were like <laughs> they were like you're on the floor we usually i was like i'm not famous like that he's like and the guy or or the guy and the guy there's something where, where he goes you know we can sit i was like what would that look like he was like it'd be um two we'd get two guards for you while while you walk there it was like he was like 
he was like, and then we can get you a mask as well, you know, so you can wear a mask when you're going on. You know? <laughs> one, like you said, like if you don't know how to wear masks, and sometimes there'll be famous people who have things there who just wear masks while they're on the floor. Yeah, I've seen the photos of Brian Cranston like wearing Brian a mask Cranston, of his. Yeah. Yelko, uh, mm-hmm. was just so he was like, he was like, do you want to wear a mask? And I said, hey, if I wear a mask, it's going to defeat the whole purpose of me walking around with security guards. <laughs> Okay. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, give me this. I want to see people's faces when I live out this fantasy. Right yeah. Now. And it was it was fucking awesome. And then and then I ran into fucking Steve and Mike. I was like, where are you guys yeah. at? I'm gonna meet you. And they're like, okay. And we go. And it's just they're like, Are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, yeah, I got security guards now, man. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, so like, fun. Um but my my biggest so it's it's a weird the fanboy moment is weird because it's like um, I work with a, a lot of these people right right like, right right um, but a lot of them are like I watch a lot of this comic shit like the craziest shit for me is uh, I ran into the defenders like oh like we were just like going through like it's one of those things where we're both going through actor sort of elevators yeah and, and they knew who I was. <laughs> and it was like the craziest when Luke Cage did Luke Cage because all the brothers know who we, we are so yes. like I took I took a picture it was and I knew Kristen Ritter because we did a TV show together mm-hmm. um, so it was like me fucking Iron Fist Daredevil and then Luke Cage and shit you know what I mean oh and cool my people at the time got this so I was I was going uh, nuts man I mean I, I'm fanboying each and every time I, I go to Comic Con it's every you know any batmobile i see any comic-con footage i can see i was there when Zack snyder had released the shit for batman versus superman which i think was before i was there as at comic-con and then the most recent comic-con was great because it was like i got to go to all the parties because timeless and preacher had were were happening because timeless was coming back as either a movie or second season and preacher i just joined at the same time cool So, so i actually got to go to a bunch of like little things and was on the panel with them. And then, you know, so it was, and then after that, the very last one, I went with my blurred crew, a bunch of black nerds who were all in the industry, and right. Oh, that's great. TV shows and, and our people at wherever the fuck they're at. I'm not going to say, yeah. but um, we went as people, like I went just as guys going on a thing or friends going on a thing. Yeah. And a couple of them had panels and I didn't necessarily even have panels, but I was like there for the parties. Oh, I was there with the boys. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. The ne- uh, season two is coming out yeah. in uh, September, right? Yeah. And I was like begging Kripke, who's the writer of the show. And I was like, because I wasn't officially with them. So I was like, can I go into these parties? Is that, can I be on the bus? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was just like Please? riding with them. Please, please. Um, well, okay. This is a question I ask uh, a lot of people that are are traditional actors. Uh, do you have a worst auditioning memory? Yes, I have a couple. Oh, I would love to hear one if you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all horrible. They're not. None of them are sexual harassment or anything. So, like, I okay, okay. <laughs> like, like, okay. Feel comfortable. They're just bad in general. Um, so the worst auditions. I'll tell you the three that come to mind off off the top is uh, <laughs> is uh, one of the worst ones I had. You know, I used to go in for commercials a lot. There's definitely yeah. ones where people are just eating and not paying attention to you while you're auditioning. Which is oh like, god, oh, yeah, in a salad in like a complex salad. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not even a teaser. 
like they're they're picking things out of the salad. Topic. Yeah, like there's different dressings. Like I didn't. What is this salad? I'm so hungry. I'm clearly oh, broke. I'm in here auditioning <laughs> for this this posturepedic mattress. I'm hungry. Oh. <laughs> Please wait. Oh gosh, um, yeah. But I think one of my worst ones, commercial editions are horrible. Um, yeah, they're they're. I don't do. I haven't done those for years because they're just like truly terrible. They're truly terrible, and you really don't. Honestly, this is why I think improvisers and comedians do well in those things is because they don't really they rarely tell you the whole amount of information. Mm-hmm. Commercial, so you get there and you have a broad idea, and then they're like, "Yeah, so then you're doing this, this, and this," and you're like, "Okay." Yeah. Um, and then if you want to change the dialogue, go ahead. You're like, yeah, I mean, because this sucks, so I will. <laughs> yeah. um, but the other worst one, I definitely went in for an audition where uh, to, to, where I was asleep, where I had to pretend to be asleep. <laughs> okay. That was my audition. Because I, I think it was for a print ad. And so they, oh. had, they had me come in, come in, and literally <laughs> audition. The whole audition once I entered a room at that point. You know, fucking half hour, hour to get ready, an hour and a half oh. to do the audition, an hour, uh, you know, 45 minutes of waiting. No. I do that. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I, I, you just brought back all of the memories of how much I hated doing that shit. And I felt like every time I was on like a hidden prank show, I was like, there must be a camera somewhere. Yeah. There must be something hidden. There's no way that you guys are all cool with allowing adults to come and do this in front yeah. of you all day. <laughs> I, I, went, I had a commercial where they didn't tell me till I got there, uh-huh. um, but it was like, you're, you're, you know, you're a couple, you're a married couple testing out a bed or something, some stupid fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been told that it was like, they're looking for quirky and weird or whatever. So I wore this jacket that I always wore when I was, when I was being quirky. Right? <laughs> okay. And I wear this jacket and it's just me. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right. No one looks nearly as quirky. <laughs> And, oh no! And and then they're like, yeah. And then so blah blah, blah you guys make out and this and you know after we've been paired up, and I'm paired up with this beautiful black. Girl. She is <laughs> beautiful. And they go, uh, you guys have to make out. And I go, we do. I was like, I just wasn't prepared to do that. And the look this woman gives me, like motherfucker. <laughs> I'm you sorry. should be so honored. <laughs> it was definitely one of those. Oh, I'm sorry. Surprise! You gotta kiss me. Like, wow. oh. and by the way, this is, that was more my mom than her. This, all of this, but mm-hmm. <laughs> she definitely. It was definitely a look of like, yeah, huh? you, get, you get to kiss me. And me, I just was like, I didn't know I was doing kissing today. Like, I don't. Yeah, look, like, I, I wore my jacket. This is not I my wore, kissing jacket. <laughs> this is not my kissing jacket. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm happy to hear yeah. that you've also had those experiences that yeah. we're not alone in that um okay what? we're gonna take uh we're gonna take one quick. i'm cutting uh, you off real quick we're gonna what? take one last break when we get back we got twitter questions for you and uh, we'll be right back with more not too deep
Okay, Malcolm, before we get into these Twitter questions, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask every single guest that is on this podcast. And the first question is, who, alive or dead, would you most want to throw cold spaghetti at? Uh, (coughs) I throw cold spaghetti at Hitler, but that seems obvious. Yeah, Uh, we've uh, gotten a couple Hitlers, yeah. Yeah, it's boring. It's boring. Hitler's easy. I throw. Uh, I'm not going to do courage. It's too easy to. I I I I throw cold spaghetti at the guy who invented the material at the bottom of your bed that you bang your foot on. That hurt. <gasps> yeah. Uh, whoever that guy who did that. Okay. That <laughs> and the most intense pain you've ever felt in your toe. All right. That, yeah, that, we've that never guy, had that answer. Cold spaghetti straight to the fucking noggin. <laughs> Uh, good yeah. okay uh, why don't they make soft material for the beds for the yoke for the bed so i don't fucking hit my I fucking toe that shit hurts for years i that know shit is the worst i hate it's, it it's a trauma that uh i think more people should be talking about so i'm happy that you brought this to the forefront of our conversation today <laughs> yeah i, I have a go fund me uh <laughs> who have stubbed their toe uh i love it um, okay, the other question I ask every guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or close call, but you can only use three words or three small phrases. So, for example, or a combination of words and phrases, for example, mine is college jogging front lawn. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. A very specific game. Uh, <laughs> it's very uh, fun. Uh, I would go, uh, uh, oh, (laughs) there it is. There's the memory. (laughs) Yeah. Post college, uh, cast, uh, uh, stadium for the Jets. (laughs) That's not Jet no, you stadium? can use yeah, you can <laughs> use small phrases. Oh wow. Okay, no follow-up questions. We'll just have to all fill in the blanks there. Uh okay, here are some Twitter questions for you, Malcolm. Someone wants to know what is the dumbest thing you ever wrote about? The dumbest thing I ever wrote about? Yeah. Um the dumbest thing I ever wrote about. Uh, uh I used to write these stories when I was a kid in first grade, and they were all just variations of classic stories. Okay. But that's how I started as a writer is like, I think is like, it would be like the story of the three penguins and, then <laughs> and a bear. And then the teacher was like, you might want to switch it up a bit. Uh, I like the idea of you as a kid saw these classic stories and you're like, yeah, yeah, these are great, but I think I can make these better. I think I can. (laughs) And that young man grew up to be a Hollywood executive. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, someone wants to know, what's your favorite memory from working on Timeless? Um, My favorite memory from working on Timeless was... um, it's very hard. I mean, every scene I had with Patterson Joseph, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, particularly, 
I, you know, look, the liver is going to change every day. So it's like hard. Sure, um, sure, sure. But, but one of the things that strikes me in this moment is the very first time I got to rehearse with Patterson Joseph, um, cool. who played Mason, who plays essentially my mentor and the mastermind behind the whole time travel program. Um, and me and him just had a similar way. He comes from theater, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we just had a similar way of approaching the material. And so we cool. very much approached it like it was Shakespeare. And so we would go into each other's trailers before the scenes and and just go back and forth and play with different things. And, and because, you know, it's a TV show, so you're hitting, for the sake of new audience members, you're hitting the same beats a lot of times yeah. with, with certain plot points. And so for us, it was very important to do because it just added nuances to things that might have seemed similar or that the audience might have been familiar with. And we just really wanted to make that dynamic rich between us, you know, and we ha we also hadn't seen that, you know, I really, it was few and far between, I've really seen a sort of two black men, geniuses caring for each other mm. in this environment and really having these one-on-ones while still yeah. being part of this other broader story. Um, so it was, that must, have been, that must have been really special. It was incredibly special for me. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Just yeah. to be able to be in that space and to go toe to toe with Patterson, who's one of the best actors ever of our time of any period. Um, he, you know, he wrote his own piece of, uh, he, I, I can't say enough good things about it. That's awesome. That's really cool. And it's also really cool to hear how much you guys cared about the work and also must have been such a fun thing to vibe off of each other's like theater approach to it because I'm sure that's a little rare to find that someone approaches it from the same sort of like theatrical brain that you do yeah my, cool. favorite, my favorite note that he got from a director one time because he there's an episode where he finally time travels with us and he he had this whole take where he pukes whatever and he get and and the director goes so so that was a little theatrical and then Patterson goes, <laughs> but Patterson goes, no, it was very theatrical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's very sweet. <laughs> very uh, okay, someone wants to know, would you rather time travel 1,000 years in the future mm -hmm. or, or visit the closest civilization on another planet? That's a good question. A thousand years in the future, closest civilization hmm. on another planet. Uh, I think I'd go with the other planet thing, right? Okay. Because I feel like, you know, a thousand years in the future is cool, but it's just going to be a variation of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to be a bigger or smaller cell phone. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I think I'm, I'm going for the whole other planet thing, right? Like, the environment's oh. going like, cause it's not even just getting, the environment's going to be different. The, the species are going to be different. The, the climate, all of that. It's so amazing. Terrain, yeah. planet. Uh, I'm with you that I feel like there's an opportunity to go to a, a, a civilization that's a little bit less fucked than our current situation. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Last question before we wrap up. Someone to know what's the weirdest thing someone has said or done on a set that you've worked on? Were there a lot of like goofs and spoofs behind the scenes on Timeless? I know that's like the go-to question for everything. <laughs> People always want to know if there's like pranks. 
pranks. I know. Isn't that crazy that it's like you're all professionals trying to make this masterpiece come together from like so many moving parts and everyone's just like, but did anyone like put each other's stuff in a toilet or something? Yeah. I think George <laughs> Clooney set a bad precedent for people believing that pranks are always yeah. happening and they're yeah. never happening because everyone's just tired. Like, oh, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's trying tired. to do their job. Everyone's just trying to do their job and go home. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, well then, okay, let me switch this up. Let me ask you now to come full circle. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to a young actor entering into Hollywood or wanting to enter into the creative world? Something that maybe you've learned that you would tell your younger self? Yeah, so I, whenever I give advice, I try and be very, very practical, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, people need to know what they can do. Yeah. Right? So, like, I used to have this website where it was literally it just... It was just a page of the fucking seven things that you initially needed to know as an actor. And it was just like, mm -hmm. in New York, you get a color headshot. In LA, you get a black and white headshot. Um, theater training, in, if you go to school, is probably better than just taking classes. You'll be more respected, theater training. Um, in, in, in LA, when you take acting classes, a lot of time you're doing scene work from movies and TV shows, which is a very different thing than doing scene work from plays because you're playing a whole character for like an hour or two hours at a time. It's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to do voice and speech, no matter where you're from. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, um, and so I had a very different way of talking before I took voice and speech. Mm -hmm. um, so you should definitely do that without actually losing who you are. Don't worry. You don't have to lose who you are just because you know standard American English. It also will give you the tools to understand how to use your voice, um, which is very helpful. Oh, uh, that's so. I've never heard that piece of information. That's really interesting. The fact yeah. that yeah, when you change your dialect or your your the way you speak, you could feel like you lose a sense of yourself. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, yeah, especially for people. I'm gonna say I can't speak for everybody. People of color, people like me who are from Brooklyn. You know, when I got to theater school, mm -hmm. it was it was it's all white. It was all white and people with money and people who had been going to theater school since they were like eight and five. Sure. You know, people who were the children of people who were running television and TV. And so they didn't look like me and they didn't talk like me. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a, it's, it's a thing where people are like, okay, so do I have to sound white or do I have to not be able to be from Brooklyn and, and, and all of that? And for me, it was about knowing the words to use my tools. So it's like, I still talk the way I talk, especially if I'm around my brother and my mother. Um, but I also know what I'm doing. I know about the diphthongs I'm using. I know when I want to aspirate. I know that I'm letting my tongue be lazy, like I'm aware. And so it gives me the tools to use what I need to use when I want to be a character actor, which is a lot of what I do. I play a lot of different types of characters from different types of places. Mm -hmm. and I'm able to do that because, one, my background, I actually have a background in high school from science and, and math. Um, but I also studied, you know, Edith Skinner's standard American English and had, um, you know, speech, speech, voice and speech. So, you know, cool. yeah. And, and just, you know, what? and also surround yourself by smart, motivated people, you know, and inevitably you'll wind up helping each other. So it's not about like meeting a famous person who will give you a job. It's about being around people who know how to create for themselves. Totally. I think that's all super sound advice. Um, before we wrap everything up completely, Usually when we do the podcast in person, we have a personalized fortune cookie as a gift from us to our guests for making time for us. But now that we're doing this remotely, we have a digital fortune cookie for you that I believe Melissa emailed to you. She did. 
Oh, heck yeah. Well, you're welcome to open it and read aloud your fortune. All right. Let's see what it says here. Today's forecast predicts a 30% chance of Steve Zaragoza mm. in bed. In bed. I mean, if that, uh, you know that anywhere right now, Steve Zaragoza is currently in bed. Malcolm, this was really wonderful. Thank you for talking uh, with us today. And uh, before we go completely, where can people find everything that you're up to online if they don't already know? Um, I'm on YouTube. You can check my YouTube. I, get, I, I would assume it's Malcolm Barrett. I don't really know. <laughs> Uh, and then Instagram, I'm uh, verbal be rapping, um, uh, verified, and on, and Twitter, I'm Malcolm Barrett. I'm Malcolm Barrett. And then you can check my band, uh, Verbal Necris. Our, our newest album, Funhouse, is out now. Um, yeah. Yeah. The theme song from the show, from going live with Malcolm, Malcolm, is actually uh, a song we we wrote together called uh, Big Sir. Um, awesome. So you can find me there. And ammunitiontheater.com. Ammunition. Sweet. Well, thank you again. This was very fun and also very educational. So guys, go check out everything that Malcolm is up to. And we'll see you guys next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. It was Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. And an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. 